This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Guess we uh, really want you guys to go to this intensive. It's <laughs> <laughs> kidding, having a technical difficulties because it is a Sunday morning. <laughs> Y'all pay attention, Ben's 30 now. I'm 30. <laughs> Gene broke the ice for me. I am now allowed to wear cardigans on the stage <laughs> as per the Constitution. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so as we jump into the text this morning, we are in the last I am statement. We're in the last I am statement in John, and it is the true vine. And so before we jump into that this morning, I just want to, to pray for us as we dig into the word. Father, we, we thank you that, that you have given us your word. We thank you that, that you've chosen to reveal yourself to us, that you've chosen to, to share with us who you are and have done things for us that we could um, never have accomplished on our own. Jesus, we praise you for that, and it's why, it's why we're here this morning, because we, we recognize or we want to recognize that we need more of you that's in you that we have life. And so I pray just as we, as we open to your word, um, as, you, as we walk through this, this last statement, this I am statement that you gave your disciples to, to show them who you are, and what it is you're doing. Um, I pray that we would, we would hear it with, with fresh ears. Um, I pray that we would see the truth that you have for us in your gospel with fresh eyes um, and that your spirit would be working in our hearts this morning to receive more of who you are. So Jesus, we, we thank you and we pray in your name. Amen. So this morning I want to, to talk about the vine. And I think one thing that I want us to be able to take away this morning and that Jesus directly says in this passage is this. One thing that we can walk away from what Jesus is trying to say in this last statement is that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. That's something I, I want us to recognize, to remember this morning. And I think we need to remember that in everything that we do as individuals, in our gospel communities, even as a, a church in whole. We need to remember that whether we are celebrating success I think something's happening up here. <laughs> Whether we're celebrating a success or feeling defeated, um, especially in our sin, we need to remember that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And I was processing this, and, and just as we do uh, with Aaron earlier this week, and something that I told him was processing with him, and I think for most of us, including myself, that we don't often consider is the significance, it's the importance of our union with Christ. And I think often I find myself measuring my life, my discipleship, by my fruit. How fruitful am I? What could I be doing more of? What could Emmaus be doing more of? Why aren't we or how could we be doing this or that thing? And I would argue, and I believe, what Jesus is trying to tell us, what he's trying to tell his disciples here, 
is when we get caught up in the doing, when we get caught up with those questions and the doing and the being fruitful, we can, if we're not careful, forget that there is no fruitfulness without our union with Christ. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Amen. I would go as far to say that if we were more mindful of that, if we were more often considering the state of our abiding in Christ, of our union with him, first and foremost, that it might change how we define what is fruitful to begin with, what fruit we should be striving for. And so that's what I kind of want to unpack today, what I want to talk about. And two ways I think that Jesus has given us to unpack what he's saying to his disciples. You know, Aaron was saying, I think last week, that when we kind of look at this, this portion of scripture and, and the setting at the, the Last Supper, um, that this is kind of Jesus' last words to his disciples. And so we should be paying really close attention. Obviously, they weren't his actual last words because he didn't stay yes. dead. Amen. But I think these are things that he did want the disciples to, to pay extra attention to. And so with that in mind, um, two things that I want to point out and unpack in this as we consider what it means to be united to Christ and what it means for him to bear fruit in us is the metaphor and the means. So let's talk about this final I am statement. Um, so first, before we actually jump into that, um, I do want to give a little context for what's happening here um, before Jesus jumps into this last statement. So last week, Aaron was in the I am statement of I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is actually only half a chapter away from what we're talking about today. And Jesus speaks of himself as the way to truth and the life, which is found in God. It's found in God's presence. And Aaron kind of made the point, we trust in who Jesus is and what he's done in that. And he says this in verse 12 in chapter 14. He says, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Amen. And after that, he explains that even though he will leave them, he will send a helper, the Holy Spirit. Yes. The Holy Spirit is the one who's going to help them do these works. He says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you your remembrance all that I've said to you. And so I just wanted to, to set the context that when Jesus comes into this last I am statement, it's, it's under the impression that what he, what he is explaining is that the Spirit, the Spirit that I'm sending to you, the helper, is going to help that what I'm about to say to you be realized. He's the one that, that is uniting you to me in this way. And I think that's important to, to consider as we, as we move forward. So with that in mind, I'm going to jump into to John 15. So verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Things worth mentioning um, in my, my study, uh, D.A. Carson's commentary is really amazing. Can't recommend it enough. But something he pointed out was that this is actually the only I am statement of the seven that we're going through. 
It's the only one that includes an assertion of who the Father is within the statement. So Jesus isn't just saying something about himself in the statement like he has with the other ones. He's also pointing out something distinct about the Father's role and how Jesus interacts with us. And so I want to camp out there for a little bit to consider, because he begins this passage, as soon as he says this, he starts describing the Father's role, not his own. Which I think is helpful for us to consider Jesus' role in this. So in verse 2, speaking of God the Father, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And so in this, in this assertion of the Father, he's, he's giving us a job description of the vine dresser. And it's a two-part description. He says he's pruning branches that are fruitful, and he's cutting off branches that are not. And this is kind of funny that uh, way back when we were in the first part of our Isaiah series, I don't know, like, what was that, the fall of 2020? I don't know. I've slept since then. But uh, we were in Isaiah, and I preached, the first sermon that I preached in that series was, was chapter 5, uh, which is just really funny, and it's like not intentional at all that I am preaching this week. It's just like a happy accident. But chapter 5 in Isaiah is basically a huge metaphor in a poem that Isaiah wrote about a vineyard and about the vine and God as a vine dresser. So it's just kind of funny that I'm back in this, which is probably helpful for me. Um, But I kind of want to unpack that metaphor in in Isaiah 5 because I think it it helps us understand what's going on when Jesus is describing the Father's role here as the vine dresser. So all the way back in Isaiah 5, Isaiah says this, Let me sing for my beloved my song, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I had not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up, and I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain upon it. What Isaiah is is doing here, back in in Isaiah chapter 5, is he's telling his people, he's telling Israel that God, as a vine dresser, did everything right for the vineyard, everything that he should have done for it to prosper. And of course, that's a picture for his people, Israel, to yield good fruit. That was their job. But instead, they produced rotten grapes. And what I pointed out back in that sermon (laughs) remains true today in this, that a vine that produces rotten fruit has no use. If you plant a garden and none of the plants produce fruit, what do you do with them? You take them out. You uproot them and you replace them with plants that are going to produce fruit. 
Otherwise, what good are they? I think that's what, what Isaiah is, telling, is warning Israel back in Isaiah 5. And Jesus is alluding to that here in John 15. But the good news is that that was the vine of the Old Covenant. If you remember in the story, I always forget to put that in my slides, but I guess they're not working anyway. So <laughs> picture in your head the symbols <laughs> of the story if you haven't tattooed them on yourself already. <laughs> the God, in the beginning, he created a garden, and it was fruitful, and he gave the, the best part of his creation, mankind, the, the charge to be fruitful and to multiply. And that was broken. It was broken in the fall and our sin. And from there on, we were incapable of producing good fruit. We were incapable of truly being fruitful in our sin. But as we will see in a couple of weeks, when Cole gets to preach on the resurrection, Jesus became the better vine. That's why he says of himself here, I am the true vine. He's alluding back to Isaiah 5. He's saying, where you were a vine that was helpless to produce the right fruit. I produced the good fruit. And when you were destined to be pulled out of the garden, to be thrown on the burn pile, I stood in your place. We got a better vine in Jesus. He produces the fruit God wants. And I, I think the beautiful picture of this is that it isn't just a picture of, of Jesus becoming the true vine and then God just steps away and says, okay, like, my son is not doing all the work. Jesus is making a point to say that God is still active in his people. He's still working in the vine, in the vineyard, still the vine dresser. And so I think it's important that we understand what that, that job description, that he's pruning branches that are fruitful and he's taking away branches that are not. And when you think about this in literal terms and how gardening actually works, which I mean, Sarah should probably be up here saying this and not me or anyone who has any more knowledge of plants at all. But from what I understand, when, you know, there's, uh, actually this is a good example. So Sarah and I were uh, out having coffee on a Friday a couple of weeks ago. Um, and we were at Middle State Coffee and they had this really beautiful Monstera plant. And we were just like, we're up kind of in the top, talking. You can kind of look down and like, it's like tiered. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We saw somebody come in who's just a customer, like didn't work there. And he like starts working on this Monstera. And Sarah's like super curious, like what's going on? This is kind of like my dream side gig. <laughs> like what's this guy doing? And he was, uh, he was trimming off some things. And then he like had some stakes and was doing stuff that Sarah probably knows more about. Anyway. <laughs> Um, and we like came down, we were like on our way out and they were still there and he's like talking with the middle state people and explaining to them what he was doing. And one of the things about Monstera is, is that they have these um, roots basically that like grow out of, I don't know if I'm explaining this right. They're like roots that grow out of the things. They're like air roots, yes. Roots that grow in the air. And they do something 
<laughs> this is really bad. Um, so yeah, like basically what he was saying is that like you have to prune those because they will try to to touch on other things and then grow in a way that like you want the 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 plant to grow up and it will like try to grow out. And so it's like just a way of like managing. And basically it's like you have to cut those things off to like make the plant healthier and like grow the way that you want. And, and so I think the lesson in that is that God as the vine dresser is pruning his vine. Not because Jesus as the vine is inadequate to grow the right way, but we are the branches. That's what he's saying about. So he's pruning the branches, not the vine. And, and I think part of that is to say that, um, you know, we, we talked about this even within the, the resurrection and the life, um, that when there's suffering, I think sometimes God, you know, even we talked about this in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, that, that God disciplines those that he loves. And so I think a beautiful thing about the vine dresser is that, that he prunes us. And sometimes that hurts. <laughs> it hurts to have something cut off of you. Um, but he says he does that so the, the branches will be more fruitful. And so if you're in a, if you're in a season of, of feeling pruned, <laughs> of feeling I mean, honestly, hurt by God. I think we can recognize that that it's it's vital to be pruned because it's for our good. It's for the health of the branch. And then the other thing is that, that God cuts off branches that don't produce fruit. And I think we could go into something that I don't have time to go into on the you know doctrine of like once saved or always saved. Or like, was it ever a fruitful branch or not? Or like, can you? Produce fruit, but not produce fruit. It's a whole thing you go into, but I think the point is that if there's a dead branch on a plant, it's producing nothing. It's better for the plant to have it cut off so it's not sending nutrients <laughs> to that branch, and it can be sending nutrients to the branches that are already fruitful. And he says that. He says, so it will produce more fruit. So yeah, so I think... It's just beautiful to see that God is actively working still in his people, even with Jesus being the fulfillment if you were supposed to be. God is still active. And it's interesting that Jesus made that point to point out to say that God does have a unique role in the garden still, even with me here. Yeah, those are not, those are not easy things, whether you are a branch that's being pruned or even in this, this era of deconstruction and seeing people walk away from the church and, and reading this and wondering like, were they ever fruitful? Were they a dead branch all along? That's hard for us to say. I don't know that we have the wisdom <laughs> to say that, but it hurts to see people leave the community that you love when they're walking away from Christ. And if you're feeling heavy from that, Jesus says this in, in verse three, he says, because I'm sure the disciples were like, wow, that's like kind of extreme. He says, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. As if to say, look, you who are here already listening and you're clinging to my words, we're good. <laughs> well, except for Judas, obviously. <laughs> he was a dead branch. And John kind of points that, actually, it's interesting, John points it out. He says, 
like when Judas leaves in the last chapter, Aaron kind of said like he left, but like he had been stealing money like the whole time. Basically, he like makes that as like a side note, like parentheses, like just in case you're wondering, like Judas was like a bad apple the whole time. Um, so interesting side note. Yeah, I just I want us to like have confidence that even as we read the weight of that, if you are, if you're clinging to Jesus' words, um, know that you're clean. And so that's kind of the first part of the metaphor is Jesus kind of more specifically talking about the Father, but now he starts talking about himself as the vine and the relationship of the vine and the branches. So that's what he says in verse five and six. It says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If that's not a statement, an objective statement of the sovereignty of God, I don't know what is. There's not a lot of black and white in a statement like that. But I think at the heart of what Jesus is saying here is the importance of our dependence on him, the vitality of our union with him. And in a sense, it's kind of, it's the culmination of every statement he's been making about himself so far that we've been going through. Jesus is the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the door. He's the good shepherd. The resurrection and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. Everything he has been telling us, he's been teaching his disciples about himself, points to this one simple truth. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We need him to sustain us as the bread of life. We need him to guide us as a light when we're in the dark. We need him to watch over us as a good shepherd, to revive us when we were dead in our sin as the resurrection, to lead us to the Father as the only way. That's why this metaphor of the vine is honestly perfect It's a perfect way of telling us to abide in him. He is the vine and we are the branches. And apart from him, that branch without a vine is what? It's just a twig. (laughs) It's nothing. And I want to ask the question, why? Why is that so important to remember? I think Jesus points it out. It's because the fruit comes from the vine. It doesn't come from the branches. Branches don't produce the fruit on their own. They have to get their substance from something else. It's from the inside out. And I think what we should take away from this is that there is no true fruit bearing without an abiding in Christ, in him and you. I think that's encouraging because it it takes the weight off, doesn't it? I think when, you know, as I was saying before, when we are constantly thinking of how can we do more? What, what are the things that we need to be producing? 
to make sure that we're good, that, that our food is good. I think Jesus is saying, it's like, hold on. You are the branches. You aren't even the one that produces the good fruit. I am the vine. I am the source of, I am the life. You get your fruit from me. You know, speaking of the context in this, the spirit, my helper that I've sent to you, he is the one working good into you. So I just want to, I want to give an example to how, how can we be thinking about this? How can this union with Christ, our abiding in him, be encouragement to us when we're getting wrapped up in our fruitfulness? I think the question to ask is, is where are you relying on your own ability to produce fruit without abiding in the vine? So I want to share, um, yeah, just a, a story of, of where I've seen that in my own life. Um, a lot of you either weren't here or maybe just didn't even know this was happening. Um, but several years ago, um, so Sarah and I came here to do an internship with the Mays because um, we were just out of college and we were considering what it would look like to do church planting. Um, but we had never attended a church plant or lived in a large metro city. <laughs> so like, we should probably try that out and see if that's even a thing that we want. Um, and so we ended up at Emmaus, which is a story of its own. Um, but after a year of doing the internship, that was also a story of its own. And if you're laughing, it's because you were there. Um, yeah, so the internship was over. And yeah, there's just a lot of stuff going on and a lot of things in my own heart um, that I am not proud of. And I, I think uh, to name a few would be um, pride um, and maybe even some bitterness of some things that happened or just, I think overall, um, you know, as I was reflecting on this passage and just even like asking myself that question, what are I my own ability? Like the, the first story that came to my mind is this story because it's, a, it's a, a point in my life that I can say like very distinctly, like I was not abiding in Christ in that season. In a season where I was, I was coming out of college and, and looking to do vocational ministry and, and jumping into a church and serving, like even in that, I wasn't really abiding in Christ. I, when, I, when I think about it now, in terms of this metaphor, I was abiding in, in the perception of myself. I was abiding in um, my ex- expectations <laughs> of coming to Denver and, and doing ministry and, and learning church planting. And the fruit that was produced in my heart from where I was abiding was pride because I was the one that was going to do the things. I was the one that was going to, I don't know, X, Y, or Z. Um, Yeah, and then bitterness of those expectations being broken. Um, And it it came out in in ways I'm not proud of. It came out in interactions with other volunteers, um, the leadership. And so there was a point after my internship, a couple months after it ended, and I was, we were still at the church and still serving, um, where, yeah, there's a Sunday that I, like, got visibly frustrated with a volunteer. Um, and I just remember after that just saying, like, man, my heart is not right. And I came to elders and said, hey, like, my heart is not right. And they're basically like, yeah, we kind of noticed. <laughs> like you're not fooling anyone. 
Um, and yeah, and basically what came of that was um, me taking, I think, almost a year, like nine months or something like that, of I was no longer leading worship. I had like nowhere near the stage at all or like up front or in any kind of leadership capacity. And, and in, those, in those nine months and what the elders had intended for me was we want you to, um, I mean, essentially, without saying these words, like abide in Christ. <laughs> like you're not abiding in him. We are seeing the fruit of that. We want you to, to abide in him, to lean into the means of grace, to lean into your community, um, to be someone who can, who can have joy in serving without sharing the stage. And that's what happened. I uh, got leaned way more into my gospel community. Um, yeah, I served in ways that were nowhere near the front. Um, and yeah, and just, I think really too, it's just a season of, of going to the word more and and what happened as I began to abide in Christ in his vine instead of trying to be my own vine to produce my own fruit is that when I came back into leading, I mean, people can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel, I feel like what I felt in my heart was that um, I had more joy in serving. I had more joy in serving with others. I was able to, to let go of things <laughs> a lot easier. I wasn't having like, outbursts of frustration. Um, I feel like the fruit that was being produced in me was more consistent with the spirit. It was gentleness, faithfulness without needing credit for it, joy in serving. And I say that to say, to, to hopefully encourage you that if you're abiding in a vine that is not Christ, and you're wondering where is the fruit realize that there is no good fruit. You can't produce good fruit apart from him. Because apart from him, Amen. you can do nothing. We need Jesus. We need his spirit to produce good fruit in us. I feel like that, like that story in my life, and there's, I know there are others, <laughs> and I'm also not perfect. I don't just like, ah, I abide in Christ now, and all my fruit is good. <laughs> like, I don't think anyone would say that. In here, and if you do, then you might be delusional. Your son already, already thinks you're perfect. Yeah, well, he'll learn. <laughs> he'll learn soon enough. So that's the metaphor. I want to talk about the means, because I think what Jesus unpacks after these verses is um, kind of the answer to this appropriate question of if we want to understand the vitalness of our union with Him, of abiding in Him. And what are the means? How do, we, how do we actively abide in him, pursue that abiding trust in Christ Amen. and him and you? Because it isn't about how we bear the right fruit or fruit in general. What we need to start with, we need to be asking, is how do we abide in Christ and him and us? Because that is where fruit is produced. So Jesus says in, in John 15, 7, he says, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Yes, Lord. And so this is kind of funny because it's almost a, a mirror statement of what Aaron talked about last week. Um, the idea that when we ask things, if we ask anything, last week is if we ask anything in my name, it will, I will do it for you. That's what we said in John 14. And basically what, what Aaron was saying and what I would re affirm 
again this week is what he's saying is that praying in Jesus' name is to pray in a way characteristic to who Jesus is. Prayer is consistent with who he is, what he has done. So this isn't to say, um, if you read your Bible and you just like know some things about it, and then you just ask whatever, <laughs> that I'll give it to you. It's like, well, I read uh, my Bible today and I'm asking for a new car, so like, where are the keys? It's not how it works, sorry. Sorry if that was your impression. That could be a downer. But I think this verse, this is again supporting this dependence on Christ, this understanding of who he is and what he's done. Because if you're dependent on Christ, if you're abiding with him, then part of that, he says, is abiding in his words. It's trusting in what he's taught us, everything that he's taught us, everything that he's revealed about who he is. And if you're doing that, then I think what you pray for is more likely going to end up lining up with his character. And therefore, granted, because, I mean, it's clear, a, a part of the son's role here is to bring glory to his father. Amen. Carson goes as far as to say that we can trust that Jesus will produce fruit. We can trust that Jesus will answer our prayers when we're abiding in him because it brings the Father glory. And that is what Jesus came to do. And the next verse, in, in verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So prove to be my disciples by coming to me in prayer, coming to me in a relationship, abiding in me through my words, through understanding and acknowledging who I am and what I've taught you and what I came to do. I think that's one of the ways that we actively abide in Christ is to consider him and who he is and to pray characteristically the way Jesus would pray. And I love this because like what Jesus is saying is that he wants nothing more than to produce fruit in us. But it takes our abiding in him and our walk with him in prayer. Seek after his will being done. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. But when we do pray, when we do pray with an abiding love of who he is and what he's done and what he's revealed to us, Jesus says, even the faith of a mustard seed move mountains. There's something powerful that happens in the kingdom when we are trusting in who Jesus is and what he's done and we're striving to be more like him, to pray like he would pray. So the practical thing, I think, you know, how... How can we do that? How can we pray more like Jesus? How can we consider him more? I think, um, you know, if we want to talk about application, uh, you know, read the Gospels. Be, be fluent with the life of Christ. How did Jesus interact with the Father in prayer? Where do we see that? What were the things that he asked for? What is, Jesus expresses his desires. I think it's a good way we can start to consider what it means to remain with him in prayer. And so the other thing that I think are, is another means Jesus points out here is our abiding in his 
and sorry, abiding, we do that in our obedience. Not just knowing what he taught and trusting him, but living it out. Living out the words that he's given us. It says this in, in verse 9 and 10. It says, Though the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I feel like we should pause for a moment and just soak in that statement. The unconditional, perfect love that exists between our triune God, between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. And Jesus' words is the same love, not an imitation, not a portion of, the same love that Jesus has for you. Amen. For me. Whenever you doubt whether or not God loves you, keep that in mind. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Yes. So abide in that love. Hold on to that love. And he tells us within that, he says, you should keep my commandments. The thing that I say is, is trust in his words as we live them out. Be obedient to what I've taught you. Because it's for your good. And because it's what Jesus did for the Father. It's a pattern. D.A. Carson says this. He says, if we are recipients of Jesus' love, in a way analogous to his own reception of the Father's love, we must remain in Jesus' love by exactly the same means by which he has always remained in his Father's love. Obedience. That total obedience which finds Jesus testifying in John 8, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. So the pattern here is, as Jesus is obedient to the Father, we are obedient. It's a pattern of discipleship. No servant is greater than his master. But how can we live up to that? I mean, if you're anything like me, you're reading that and saying, like, that kind of feels like an impossible standard because I'm not Jesus. <laughs> I'm not perfect. I don't do anything perfectly. How can I do something the way Jesus did it? Well, uh, we can't. But that's why we're the branches. And he is divine. Because by abiding in Christ, we receive his love. We also receive his obedience. Everything that Christ does, everything that he has, he's pouring out to us. He's extending to us the life that is in the vine, the perfect obedience of the Son that abides in the vine. He's pouring out to his branches. For abiding in Christ, it is his joy to produce the fruit of faith and trust and obedience. Because apart from him, we can't meet that standard. 
but in him it's already been met. Where our rotten vine and our fruit it was traded for his good, his right, and his beautiful fruit. He's the vine. And we see this at the cross, that then his death, Christ was the one tossed away to be burnt up. And with that debt paid, and the ashes of the fire that we belonged in, the vine grew up, the, the root of Jesse grew up to stand forever in our place as the only true vine. He's made us his branches. I love that picture and I, that truth is so beautiful to me because I, I am often, I'm <laughs> even still, I'm the one who wants to produce the fruit. Because I think in our arrogance, we want the glory. But the truth is apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And Jesus is saying this full Invitation to just abide in him, to let go of the ways that we want to produce the fruit and let him produce the fruit that only he can produce. That we can have, we can have obedience like Christ who was obedient to the point of death on a cross for us. How beautiful is that? That he would share that level of obedience with us if we would just trust in him, abide in him. So how can we be confident that this is happening? I think that's a good question because it's one thing to like read this and to hear things that I'm saying and still think like, all that is well and good, but like how am I actually confident that if I do those things that this will come true, this will happen, that I will receive good fruit? Well, John actually talks about this more in another letter that he wrote to the church in 1 John 4. He says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Amen. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he's given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he Amen. in God. Amen. So what is he saying? If you, if you want to be confident that you are remaining in him, that what he's saying is true, that God is remaining in you. I think the answer is love one another. It's the greatest fruit that could ever be produced in us. Jesus, Jesus says it's how the world will know that we belong to him. It's our greatest witness, our most powerful testimony, especially in a world that seems like it's divided more than ever. Love one another. I think when you're dedicated to the pursuit of loving each other, how can you not, how can you love someone without being gentle towards them? <laughs> how can you love someone without being faithful in relationship to them? 
about having joy when you see them. I'm not saying that we produce those things just by like trying <laughs> to love one another. But when God says love one another, and he says, also says keep my commandments, and so we take that seriously, and we seek after loving one another well. When we go to Jesus, and when we consider the fact that one of the things that Jesus prayed for over and over, and he says over and over again in his last words to the disciples, is love one another. In fact, he prays that we would love one another the way that the Father loves him. That's what Amen. Jesus wants. When we consider those things, I think we can't help but abide in Christ if our goal is to love one another. Because I think we, if we're honest, we recognize that we don't love perfectly. I will never perfectly love my wife. And she'll never perfectly love me. I'll never perfectly serve this church. None of us will. But when we're striving to love one another, and we do that through trusting in Christ to produce that fruit in us, I think that's where it happens. So may us trust that the Spirit is working in you when you confess that Jesus is the vine. When you recognize that apart from him, you can do nothing. Remember his words, keep his commandments, that he is the bread of life, the light of the world, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the way, the truth, and the life, that all these things he's revealed by himself to us. But he says in verse 11, is so that we could share in his joy. He says, I say these things to you so that you would have my joy and your joy would be full. More than anything, Jesus wants us to experience the fullness of who he is. He wants us to abide in him because it's in his presence that there's fullness of joy. It's in his presence where the perfect, unconditional love of God resides. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But in him, there's fullness of joy. There's perfect love and abundant life. So abide in him as he abides in you. Whatever the season, whatever you're facing, whatever you feel capable or incapable to do, wherever you're called to, abide in the true vine of Jesus Christ and see him bear fruit in you. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm thankful for that truth this morning because whether I'm up here preaching or at home helping put my kids to bed, I can't produce good fruit on my own. I just can't. But Jesus, I'm, I'm thankful. I pray that we are all thankful that we are, we're the branches, we're not the vine. It's not our job to produce the good fruit. It's not our job to sustain ourselves, but to abide in you 
to receive you as the one who gives us life, to trust that it's your spirit who produces good, good fruit in us for your glory, not our own. Jesus, anything you produce in us is for the building of your kingdom, for the pursuit of your honor and majesty and power and glory. Help us to, to trust that, to be obedient to that, to rely on you, to be dependent on the vine for life, for love. Jesus, we thank you. I pray this morning as we continue to worship that it would reflect our understanding that we need you. So Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.